Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of Sepad Pod, the sectarianism, proxies, and desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. Today, I'm joined by Zainab Kaya. Zainab is based in the Department of Development Studies at SOAS and also teaches at Cambridge University. She's the co-editor of the Kurdish Studies book series published by the LSE Middle East Center at IB Taurus. But we're here today to talk about her wonderful new book, Mapping Kurdistan, Territory, Self-Determination, and Nationalism. This book is published by Cambridge. It came out in the summer of 2020, and it's a wonderful and critical reflection on uh, on the, the cartography of, of Kurdistan. So, Zainab, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Simon. It's a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to, to talking about your wonderful book. But before we do, Zainab, can I ask, what um, what prompted your interest in, in academia and, and politics? Um, I guess growing growing up in Turkey in the 1980s, 1990s, you know, you end up becoming interested in politics. My parents were quite active. You know, my dad was a um, was, he was an active union member, and he uh, also entered elections a couple of times. Um, he, he had this Marxist-Leninist tendency, you know, leaning mm. tendencies, and you know, he was reading a lot, always books in the house and things like that. So I just, you know, grew up in that kind of politically quite um, active. Like we would go to protests, um, you know, get, do meetings and gatherings and organize, you know, uh, invite, polit- you know, political activists or uh, or writers. So we were. Um, and, and, you know, in, into meetings and then organize events like that. So I got interested in politics and I knew I wanted to study um, political science or international relations. So that's what I did at uni. Right. Um, and then, um, so I had I had some options, you know, you know in, in Turkey, I don't know how much you know about, you know, the... Uh, the job sector in Turkey probably you don't, but in the 1990s, 2000s, if you have studied political science or international relations, your options are either joined bureaucracy, uh, you know, hmm. work yeah. in one of the ministries, um, or um, or join the pri- private sector. So I didn't want private sector, um, and I didn't want bureaucracy, and I've always wanted to carry on doing research, reading, um, exploring a little bit more. So I think when I finished my undergrad degree, I wasn't sure I wanted to join academia, but I wanted to do a little bit more. So I joined the master's program there. Um, and then it was a two-year program. It was quite extensive. And I um, uh, studied a more kind of methodology, sociology, uh, political history um, in that program. And I got really interested in uh, research and writing uh, even more. So I just wanted to do a PhD, and then, and during that time, I knew that I wanted to uh, basically go into academia. And then I ended up at LSE uh, in the International Relations Department. Uh, Fred Halliday doing a PhD on um, on Kurdish nationalism. Amazing. Uh, so that's basically the journey. Um, that's how kind of I ended up. Yeah. So that's how you got to where you are today. I want to talk to you about Fred in a minute, if I may. But I wonder if if we just go back to your childhood in that uh, interesting political environment. Do you recall protests that your father took you to? Was there anything in particular that that stayed with you? 
Um, yeah, we we usually went used to go to Ankara was close to us, close to where we did. I grew up in a, in Cappadocia in Uyghur. Um so we would go to uh, to Ankara, and then it was just you know thousands of people, music. Um, so I wasn't a child. Um, I was kind of a teenager, and then I also went to uni in Ankara. Right. So my parents would come and join <laughs> join in Ankara. We would meet up and go to the protest, so that was fun. Amazing. Um, it was fun environment. It was great, and you meet you met you meet lots of interesting people, and it's just this, you know feeling of being part of something. You know, um, it was amazing. So that sort of sense of collective action and and political engagement was was really imbued in you from an early age. Yes, yeah. Fantastic. So that must have set you in good stead for for working with Fred then. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, I guess so. I, he was he was amazing. Um, so I wasn't expecting that he would take me on board. Um, so I didn't even. <clears throat> I didn't contact him directly about my PhD plans for the fear of like he might just reject me because maybe my work wasn't good enough. Um, so I was a bit scared. I just applied to the IR department directly without contacting any any of the scholars in the department. Right. And then one day this email came from Fred Halliday. He said, I saw your project. It's very interesting. Shall we talk? <laughs> and I'm like, Amazing. oh my God, <laughs> is, this, is this real? So I basically went up to... Um, to his office at LSE, and I was um, eight months pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> right. Didn't say anything, uh, and you know, basically we had a great chat. And the last thing he said, "Okay, yalla, let's do it. Let's do this." Um, and then he only said, "You know, do you want to start six months later, or like, you, do you want to start a year later after you know referring to my pregnancy?" Yeah. So that's basically where we just talked about the practicalities. I just like I was amazed because you know you don't know whether those are the two things basically that excited me about working with Fred. You know how much intellectually you know his, his excitement with ideas and we had that great discussion. You know and uh, you know his his humbleness as well and like his humanity, how approachable he was. And then the second thing, you know, as a woman, you think, oh, will they really actually want to work with me? You know, a PhD student with a baby, how does that look like? Will that kind of, because I heard before applying to PhD programs, they would say, oh, they wouldn't take you if you are pregnant. You know, they would think you, you wouldn't work. And the fact that he didn't even mention it, um, just, you know, I, I was amazed. So, yeah, uh, it was, it was I, I remember that meeting still very very clearly i can imagine well i'm i'm sad to hear about the the others who who were suggesting that that you wouldn't be accepted but i'm not at all surprised about about fred's reaction can you just tell us a little bit zainab about about studying with fred then intellectually he's obviously such a a powerhouse of of middle eastern studies in the uk and and beyond what was it what was it like working through your your fascinating ideas with him um, it was um, it was very stimulating, as you can imagine. So he would just suggest books that I've never heard of, um, and then I would read them, and then I was like, well, "Why did he suggest this?" And then about six months later, ah, that's why. And then that would become a really profoundly, you know, important idea that to, that shaped my, you know, research, for instance. You know, so he was very forward looking um, in that sense. You know, I wouldn't. He would see, foresee things that I wouldn't see, and then you know, 
and then you would come to a realization. Um, and his passion on in politics in the Middle East, obviously, and then we will talk a lot about Turkey, Turkish politics, um, about the Kurds, um, and then I think that, like intellectually, as you can imagine, it was really, really stimulating. Um, the other side of it was his his friendship, uh, his um, his support, you know, his his belief. Uh, because I was doubting myself a lot, you know, coming from Turkey and, um, you know, didn't didn't receive any education in the UK before and starting with, like, directly with PhD, you know, I was learning so many new things. And yeah. uh, I wasn't aware of, you know, also language and all that, all those things. And I was having doubts about my, you know, am I actually able to do this? You know, am I just... Um, you know, kidding myself type of thing. So, um, and he would just, I, knew, I, I clearly remember one day he said, you know, just, just focus on your journey and, and, in, and enjoy it. And, you know, you're just, you're distracting yourself by all these, all these concerns. So we would have chats on the phone. He was living in Barcelona and in London at the same time. Um, so he had just been, and, you know, I was, I just had a baby and then it was tiring as well. Um, so I was also, maybe that was adding to my kind of doubts about myself. So he's been unbelievably supportive and always believed in me, which made me believe in myself. Um, of course. Yeah. He was very, you know, very humane, you know, just a, just a great individual, uh, sure. a person. Well, he was certainly right. I mean, he certainly saw the, the potential in your, in your scholarship because it's, it's ultimately produced this absolutely fantastic book, um, that's, that's just come out that I mentioned in the, uh, in the introduction, Mapping Kurdistan. So tell us a little bit about that then, Zainab, please. Was this, was this stemming from your PhD thesis? Is this something different? Um, for those people who've not read it, what is it that you're trying to do in the book? Um, so it came, it is, it is very much, it, it is based on my PhD, but it's changed a lot since my PhD. So I didn't publish the book soon after my PhD was over. Um, just like left it to the side for a couple of years and then went back to it and then rewrote it. Um, so it has changed a lot. Um, and the idea came from, um, so I was always interested in Kurdish politics, but in Turkey, I would have never imagined to do a PhD on Kurdish politics, especially back in 2000s. You know, it was just no way. Uh, you know, there were taboo subjects that you wouldn't even uh, want to get close to, mm-hmm. to study. Um, so, but I always wanted to study it. And then I'm originally from um, from Eastern Turkey, uh, from one. And it's very close to the Iranian border. Um, it's part within. It's in the Kurdistan map, uh, and it is um, uh, it is is seen as part of Kurdistan. Um, so growing. So I was. I lived there until I was four, and then during the coup, the 1980 coup in Turkey. So my dad was, um, you know, arrested, and then and he was released. But you know, they, he was. Uh, it was like a forced. Migration, you know, the, the yeah. basically, he was a teacher. My my mom was a teacher as well, and they were forced to move to somewhere else. Uh, and uh, uh, so we ended up 
moving to to Urgüp, to where I just men- I just mentioned, and I lived grew up there basically. But we kept our contact with Eastern Turkey, you know, and, and with one you know family there, and we would visit very often. It was just this. I was in this pro- process of, you know, um, in Turkey, in 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 Urgüp or in Ankara. Even if I tell someone I'm from one, they would say, "Oh, you're Kurdish." Or, or you're from Kurdistan. No, that's not Kurdistan. What is Kurdistan? You know, are you Kurdish or are you not Kurdish? Um, yeah. And all those questions were very, like, part of my like daily life. I would hear these questions quite a lot from people. Or people would tell me, uh, you know, what's your background? So I have, um, my mom uh, has a Circassian, Turkish and Kurdish uh, background. My dad has... Uh, Turkish um, uh, and uh, Croatian background um, and then somewhere there I think there's Armenian as well so when people would ask me so are you Turkish are you Kurdish I, I don't know but I don't know <laughs> so what does it does it really matter so there's this constant and the political environment also in Turkey was quite um, active back then so it, at the uni you would have the you know the leftists at one on one side Islamists and then um, uh, Kurdish nationalists or or leftist Kurdish uh, Kurdish Kurdish leftist groups. So it's like there is a lot of like you know um, categorization and and groups, and everyone would kind of trying to fit into some category and um, or fit others into one category one way or another. And I found that process growing in that environment very very suffocating. Um, yeah, I can imagine. And I think that's why kind of I wanted to question these ideas around, you know, what is identity? What is, um, what 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 does belonging to an identity or a territory mean anyway? So those questions were in my head back then. I think I wanted to do a PhD on that. On that. So then basically that led to the Mapping Kurdistan project. So, that, I mean, that sounds like there's this real sort of personal investment in in this intellectual project, which which is is really interesting, and at some point I'd love to hear how you answered some of those questions that you were that you were asked on a daily basis. I can imagine it was quite frustrating. But what's the the links in it between the sort of the, the identity, or, or how do you explain the link between identities, inclusion and exclusion, and this sort of cartographical study that you're dealing with in terms of mapping what what's that link um like in turkey one of the things that people ask a lot when they meet you where are you from which means like you know where are you where were you born where is your family like where do you come from um and that kind of geographic location immediately becomes part of their construction of who you are who you are what your identity is so there is a you know intrinsic link seen in terms of uh, you know where you are based, where you're from, and and your kind of political disposition, your um, lifestyle, um, your views on on you know current politics and etc. and etc. Just like or and then you know they, 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 there is a there is that um, so. But obviously, as you can imagine, I didn't like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, of course. Um, I so I wanted to explore. I never felt comfortable with kind of oh, I'm from this, and then therefore I am this, or I am from this region, or I am from this ethnic background, therefore I am this. Um, you know, and then studying 
the nationalism literature again with Fred's push. Uh, he he encouraged me to explore more and more the uh, the theories of nationalism. Um, and then you know just this idea that you know identity is something that's constructed and and that construction is out of very complex processes long-term processes of you know history history uh, economics politics um you know norms moral norms or you know our imaginations our memory of what what you know what we are and who we are type of thing so that kind of constructed nature of of identity um, the more I read about it, um, made more and more sense to me. And so I became interested in kind of how um, the, 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 I, the connection between the, the perceived connection between nation or, or a, you know, a nationhood and territorial location uh, and territorial imaginations. How where does that come from? This idea of homeland, hmm. um, because you know, even even today, for instance, when uh, I meet people when I say I'm from one. Oh, you're from Kurdistan. Yeah, it is Kurdistan. Uh, it's also Turkey. It's also Eastern Turkey. It's also Anatolia. I don't know what it is, you know, but just um, what, what is Kurdistan in that sense, you know? It's just um, that kind of connection between the two. Where does that come from? Uh, how do we make that link between uh, the uh, ideal homeland or existing homeland, whatever you call it? And, and the people. So basically the, this book is about that. Um, and then, you know, how um, Kurdistan map as a symbol of that territoriality of the Kurdish identity, how, how did that come about, you know? And then, and having an IR background, I studied IR and BA and then masters in IR, PhD in IR. So uh, from, so I had that, I had a training, IR training basically, and that, that connection with territory and identity, I always started to think in terms of the worldwide context, you know, just this nation-state territories. Obviously, they are also constructed because yeah. the fact that they have borders doesn't mean that they are natural. They're also constructed. They're also outcome of political processes. Um, so so other so is other territories. Um, so in that process, then... Um, how how the how are like territories constructed and what type of international processes lead to them and the more i read about uh, you know constructivism and the norms the importance of norms um, i wanted to connect this um, imagination of territoriality uh, and the role it plays in nationalism within the wider international norms um, which also changes over time of course uh, but I wanted to trace that kind of how legitimacy or, uh, you know, the legitimacy of of a territoriality and, and the, I, the link between nation and territory, how that idea has changed over time and how did the international norms affected that kind of change yeah. and how did they evolve? That's um, one of the things I find fascinating in the book, the way that you trace that over time from the Ottomans to the the present day, the ways in which those those contingencies and peculiarities of time and space shape these broader efforts to work towards um, self-determination, nationalism, um, imagined communities and things like that. I find it really, really interesting. But again, for those who've, who've not read the book, can you just tell us a little bit about how 
how this sort of imagined Kurdistan, this greater Kurdistan, this mapping project, how all of that fits together and evolves over time, please. I mean, it goes from the Ottomans through the through processes of decolonization, through the Cold War to the, the present day. So how, what are the sort of the, the broader trends that you work through? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of Kurdistan has a much longer history, actually, than even the Ottoman period. So there was quite kind of an administration called Kurdistan under the Seljuk Empire before the Ottomans, back in the uh, 13th century, 12th century. Um, so as an idea, it's always been kind of there, not maybe in that sense. You know, obviously, we can't read the history retrospectively. So what we see in nation or homeland, uh, how we define it today, doesn't mean that it was defined in that way, um, yeah. and that you know. So we can't we can't obviously do that. Um, but what is interesting about the Kurdish about Kurdistan is that it became uh, particularly uh, prominent in the in the World War One period when uh, you know during the Wilsonian the rise of the Wilsonian self determination, lots of people started to claim their own territorial. Um, uh, identity and an ownership of that territory, um, and and use the Wilsonian self determination to legitimize their claims. So there you see the most you know uh, uh, more explicit uh, uh, promotions of the of the map of Kurdistan uh, by by Kurdish political actors. Before that. Um, so the, what's interesting is that, you know, and I, this is not me just saying, uh, political geographer Maria O'Shea also said in her book that the idea of Kurdistan is constantly expanding over time. So that's one trend. Uh, yeah. It just gets bigger and bigger. Um, and then uh, its boundaries expand. Um, also, um, there is uh, an emphasis on, so most of the maps... Uh, I guess in the early 20th century and before were mainly based on kind of demographic um, indicators. You know, they were mainly like the map of the people or uh, ethnic composition of the area or linguistic composition of the of the areas uh, that are Kurdish and that sort of thing. So um, that also has transformed more and more into uh, more political maps. Uh, that the kind of um, build obviously on the demographic linguistic kind of uh, indicators, but also show uh, a more clearly demarcated uh, boundary uh, that looks like a you know state territory uh, increasingly more. So that's kind of that's the other trend that in the long term that has happened. Um, and then the third one is um, obviously that there is no I wouldn't say one kind of one-way trend, uh, but, the, but the key thing that I uh, I realized that you know whatever uh, in a particular in whichever way you um, or in whichever way nation and territory has been connected in a particular period has shaped the way Kurdish political actors promoted their Kurdish their Kurdistan or their idea of Kurdistan uh, and the the, the arguments uh, that they use to promote this idea the um, the pay, the claims they make to gain leverage uh, and support uh, have changed over time and this is very much shaped 
by the by by the by the you know by whatever the ling language or the discourse of the normative discourse of the era was. So, uh, like in the World War One period, you see different claims made, but in the Cold War period it changes, and then after Cold War, uh, for instance, you see more emphasis on democracy and human rights and um, and the, the authoritarian regimes uh, marginalizing Kurdish uh, Kurdish people, and the way that obviously the regimes also, uh, the way they treated Kurdish populations and politically active uh, Kurdish political actors um, became a part of the part of these claims as well. Fascinating. So then, moving forward, we could talk at length about the the various shifting dynamics with regard to uh, to the Cold War, the end of the Second World War, etc. But I think it would be remiss of me not to ask about the Mahabad Republic. So where does that fit into all of this? Mm-hmm. So it was um, a eleven months period of uh, of a Kurdish republic. It's the first Kurdish republic established in 1946 in Iran, uh, Mahabad. Um, and this was the time uh, when the World War II had just ended. Um, Iran uh, uh, had, uh, you know, what there were uh, Soviet troops um, forces and and the um, uh, British forces present in Iran, and um, there were discussions around you know uh, creating an Azer, you know Azeri uh, Azeri state and all those all, all those kinds of conversations. So um, in that period, um, the Kurdish groups. Um, with the support of the church groups in Iran, uh, and Kazim Mohammed, for instance, is the uh, is the leader, is, was the president of the Republic of Mohammed. So, so also supported by the um, uh, Barzani's um, party, Barzani's group in Iraq, uh, northern northern Iraq and Kurdistan. Um, so it was a, it was it was the. I guess the opportune moment to create a carve such an autonomous or, or an independent Kurdish state uh, when you had these, you know, allied forces and, and Soviet forces um, and uh, the Iranian state obviously wasn't able to exert its power um, and authority in those areas. Um, so um, they created this, you know, uh, Mahabad Republic in that in that in that context, uh, and used, uh, I guess, used the opportunities in the right way, and also uh, were able to um, gather and garner support of the Kurdish tribes, and uh, not all of them, but you know, some of them mm. in that context. Yeah, it's really really interesting. I mean, short-lived, as you say, but such a symbolic and significant moment in in broader Kurdish history, albeit, um, Mm -hmm. what, close to 80 years ago now. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it was only um, 11 months. But, you know, I think it's it's profound. It's a a very important historic moment in Kurdish, in the history of Kurdish nationalism. And I think Kurdish historiography uh, refers to this uh, quite a lot. Um, and the, the progressive nature of, of the rule uh, of the Mahabad, you know, like the, the committees that they formed, uh, women were very, were very active. Um, it was it was like a very kind of fresh 
you know, a formation uh, and lots of excitement in that process, you know, despite being in very difficult circumstances. But obviously, as always, when the interests of the uh, international uh, forces changed and, uh, you know, they left the zones, they were controlling and then Basically, Mahabad was left to its own resource, you know, left left to its own sources, and was exposed to uh, to the Iranian state's basically um, yeah. uh, forces in that, and then then it, it led to the end of the uh, Mahabad Republic. Yeah, of course. So again, there's there's a great deal more to pick up on from from the book, but I'm conscious of time, and so what I would suggest is that anyone interested in in the the intervening period, please do get hold of a copy of, of, of the book. It's it's fabulous and it's well worth your time. But I want to end with one final question, Zainab, if that's okay, please. And that's, yeah. um, where is, is Kurdistan now, would you say, in light of everything that's happened, the Arab uprisings that had a dramatic impact on neighboring states, of course, uh, developments in Turkey more broadly with um, with Mr. Erdogan, uh, uncertainty in Iran. Where is is the the Kurdish project at present, and where do you see it going? Um, I think the last ten years have been really defining years for Kurdish nationalism. And the way I think it's it's transforming, uh, going into the future, um, we see we saw since since the Arab uprisings, uh, we have seen increased influence of Kurdish political actors in the Middle East, in all parts of the Middle East, and in all in all four countries that Kurds are located: Syria, Iraq, Turkey, and Iran. Especially less so in Iran, maybe, but you know, especially in those other three. Um, and uh, they have uh, also uh, shown themselves as um, as regional actors, influential regional political actors and military actors. Uh, they have, uh, in the case of the Syrian Kurds, uh, allied with the uh, with the international uh, coalition um, against ISIS. Um, so. They established, for instance, the um, Syrian authorities, Syrian Kurdish authorities have established lots of embassies all around Europe. So the, in terms of as, as actors, I mean, I think all sub-state actors are international actors as well. So I don't mm. think, I don't, I don't have a very restrictive definition of international actors. Uh, in some way or another, they have always had international engagements. But this definitely increased, and I think this will continue. Uh, so going forward, I, that's kind of one of the things that will um, internationally even more a kind of active Kurdish presence, I think we will see, uh, in my opinion. Um, in terms of the project, so there is there was never one project. Uh, yeah. There are lots of different Kurdish political groups sure. um, connected to different you know, ideological uh, positions, uh, different territorial or political goals, and so on and so forth. And, um, and we saw this diversity becoming more to the front in that process because we saw different Kurdish political groups uh, aligning themselves with different um, uh, actors in the in the war in Syria and in the calamity that the Middle East has gone through. Hmm. Uh, 
you know, and the, usually this diversity is presented as something negative uh, in by outsiders. Sometimes Kurds also criticize the, this, you know, this unified nature of Kurdish politics. But I don't see this as a. I don't think this is a. Uh, this is this is necessarily limitation. Um, I think the last ten years, eight years, especially, has shown how versatile the Kurdish political. Uh, uh, context is uh, how adaptable they are um, and uh, how many different agendas they have it's a rich context um, and yeah. they you know the Kurdish for, for Kurdish political uh, goals and Kurdish political presence and no, however you know however it's defined for them to be legitimate or for them to be accepted or supported doesn't have to have a unified voice in that sense you know even one state there are different political positions and we talk about multiplicity of views and we cherish that um, and I think in the Kurdish case again this multiplicity of voices and perspectives and positions and goals is a strength it just shows um, you know the variety that exists and uh, within this Kurdish uh, context, and I think that will continue to uh, to to grow in that sense going forward. Fantastic. Well, Zainab, thank you so much for for joining us today. It's been a, a real pleasure talking to you about this. I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot from our conversation, and I learned even more from the book. So I do urge everyone to get hold of a copy of it. It's called Mapping Kurdistan, Territory, Self-Determination, and Nationalism, published by Cambridge earlier this year. Thank you so much, Zainab. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Simon, for having me. I really enjoyed it as well. Um, thanks for having me on board on your podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. And as always, thank you for listening. Until next time.